0: Last week in our study of Acts, we saw the church the world needs. And the truth was the world needs Jesus and the way they will find Jesus is in hearing the gospel, that's the only way. And the way they're gonna hear the gospel is in the gospel preaching church. And so last week we saw the world needs Jesus and so we need to be very clear, the world needs the church. I want you to be sure again this week Satan likes for us to undervalue the church, to see the church maybe as as of little consequence, and yes, it it may help me along, there may be points when it adds to my Christian walk, and Satan wants us to undervalue the church. Well, I want you to understand the world needs Jesus Christ. The world will perish outside of a relationship with Jesus Christ, and it is the church that's going to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. The world needs the church. Well, today we're gonna continue by seeing three radical parts of that church. The world needs the church and we're gonna see three radical parts of that church. Now, I wanna start by making very clear today the truth that the church is not a normal thing. Understand that. The church is not like a club. The church is not like an institution. It is not like a business. The church is not a normal thing. Sometimes we have this this paradigm where we see it, well, it's just another thing. It's a lot like that. The church of Jesus Christ is not a normal thing. The church, for sure, is not some sleepy thing. It's not some boring, mundane thing. And I'll just tell you, I think Many times that's how we perceive it. And maybe the fault of that is many times that's how we represent it. But we need to understand today, the church of Jesus Christ is a radical, radical thing. The church of Jesus Christ is a radical, powerful thing. Satan would like us to undervalue the church. He would also like for us to underestimate the church. And so again, we start today by saying the church is a radical thing. Again, we're gonna see today three parts of that radical church. Our message today is entitled Radical Church. We're in Acts chapter five today, verses 33 through 42. Again, moving along verse by verse, not missing a single verse. Acts chapter five, verses 33 through 42. Radical church. I'm gonna ask if you would, if you'd stand with me in the honor and the reverence of the reading of God's word Acts chapter 5, beginning here in verse 33. <clears throat> but when they heard this, they were cut to the quick and intended to kill them. But a Pharisee named Gamal, a teacher of the law, respected by all the people, stood up in the council and gave orders to put the men outside for a short time. And he said to them, Men of Israel, take care what you propose to do with these men. For some time ago, Thutis rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a group of about 400 men joined up with him, but he was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After this man, Judas of Galilee, rose up in the days of the census and drew away some people after him. He too perished, and all those who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I say to you, stay away from these men and let them alone, for if this plan or action is of men, it will be overthrown. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them, or else you may even be found fighting against God. They took his advice, and after calling the apostles in, they flogged them and ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and then released them. So they went on their way from the presence of the council rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. And every day and in the temple and from house to house, they kept right on teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Father, we come today and I'm thankful. I'm thankful for grace that is greater than all of our sins. Lord, I'm thankful for a, for a gracious, kind Savior. I'm thankful for the finished work of the cross where I'm saved, where I have a new start, restoration with the Holy God. I'm, I'm thankful for a risen Savior. Lord, I pray now as we have assembled as your people that we would, we would be instructed today of what a, what a powerful thing your church is, what a, what a radical thing your church is. I, I pray that we would be equipped as your church today. Lord, I also pray in the preaching of the gospel that someone might be saved today, that that's the point of all this, that you're patient and kind and desiring that none should perish and and perhaps there's some here that you brought to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that there be no hindrance that they might be saved today. Lord, I pray again rejoicing in you, thanking you. We're thankful for your word. We pray now that you would speak to us and I pray all this in the powerful name of Jesus. In his name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. As we go through our study of the church here in Acts, I think we need to keep asking ourselves, and this would be an important part of going through this study. I think we need to keep asking ourselves, is that our church? And a second question, is that me? as part of our church. And, and we're gonna let God's word be our guide, we're gonna let God's word be the standard, that's all we have, that's all we know. But but it is an important thing is, as we are the church, as we look at each week to come and ask the questions, is that our church, if it's not what's wrong, if it's not what's missing, is that our church? And is that me as part of our church? And if it's not what's missing, if it's not, what is wrong? We want to use the standard of God's word as our plumb line in the church. Well, today as we go to our verses, I want you to remember the immediate context. The apostles have been preaching faithfully the gospel of Jesus Christ. We saw last week they've been preaching the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. That is their message. That is the truth that they're proclaiming. Jesus Is the Christ, He is the Savior, the anointed one sent of God, and they are preaching the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. Well, for that, they are put in jail. Now, our account last week, remember an angel came and sprung them from the jail. They go back to the temple of all places. They could have gone somewhere else. The angel said, Go to the temple. They go to the the temple and there they begin preaching again the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, that next morning they're brought before the Sanhedrin and actually the rest of the ruling class is brought in as well. It's bigger than just the Sanhedrin. And and this really is going to be a a big deal of a trial. Now, understand we're watching the impeachment. Some of of us are, are not sick enough yet to quit watching the impeachment of Donald Trump. And they have their case and they have their case and lawyers are pulling up and lawyers are coming in and the news stations are all there and it is a big deal to see what's going on. Well, understand, this case was a big deal to see what was gonna happen. They're ready to stomp them out. They're ready to put them to death. They're ready for this to end. They don't know how this is gonna play out and so it is a big deal. We've gathered all of the Sanhedrin. We've we've gathered all of the Jewish people of any cloud and they're there for this trial the high priest questions them and his question is we've asked you to stop in fact we've commanded you to stop preaching in his name and that is that is their charge well to that remember last week they again declare the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins they they're in trouble for doing it out there they actually do it in there they they lay out the truth of the gospel there before this court. And so that's where we ended last week. They have have told of the resurrection of Christ. They have told of the, the forgiveness of sin that comes through him. And I imagine now you could hear a pin drop. You could feel the tension as they began to give their response. The apostles have said, you know what? We are testifiers to the gospel. The apostles have said, who are we gonna please, you or God? We must please God. And so now you have the stage set, you have, you have this, this heaviness in the air and they're gonna give their response. Verse 33, here we go. But when they heard this, they were cut to the quick and intended to kill them. Watch this unfold. But when they heard this, they were cut to the quick and intended to kill to kill them. See this this morning, hearing the truth of Jesus Christ, they do not consider the truth. They don't say, "Well, let's let's talk about the truth." They do not respond in repentance, but rather they become enraged, and they 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 decide what they've always decided to do. They decided to kill the twelve. Now, I want you to understand, nothing less was going to satisfy them. They hear this. They hear their response and they intend to kill them. They're going to kill them. That's their intent. They killed Jesus. Well, now we'll get these 12 and we'll kill them and we'll end this movement once and for all. They are going to kill them. Notice it says, they are cut to the quick. That's an interesting phrase. When When you look it up, it literally translates. Listen to this. They were sawn in two. In the original language, that's the the best translation. They were were cut in half. They they hear the gospel, they hear the truth, and they're, they're cut in half, they're sawn in two. Now I want you to see this. They have heard the truth of the word of God. Now how do we know that? Now I want you to watch this. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews, that the word of God is living and active and sharper than a double edged sword, piercing as far as division of soul and spirit, both joints and marrow. They have heard the word of God and their own testimony. They are cut in two. They have heard the word of God, and instead of responding in repentance, instead of responding in faith, they respond in anger and they respond. With murder. Let me say this right here. The success of a message, the success of a sermon is not its acceptance. I think as we're living in these last days and as, as we're pushing into a dark culture, as we see our culture go in a different direction, we need, to, we need to start to say that, and we need to start to affirm that in the church, we need to start reminding each other of that in the church. The success of a sermon is not its acceptance. It's not that it's popular. It's not that people brag on it. It's not that it even draws a crowd. It's not even if you like it or not. The success of a sermon is the faithful delivery of the word of God. That's the standard. That's the standard. You know what, the world hates our message. They're gonna hate it. The world's going to tear apart the deliverer of the message. That's what the Bible says. And we need to uphold in the Christian church that the success of the message is the upholding the faithful preaching of the word of God. Well, they had done it. And as, as Hebrews said, they are cut in two, they are divided. And they respond not with repentance, they respond in anger. All right, verse 34. But a Pharisee named Gamal, a teacher of the law, respected by all the people, stood up in the council and gave orders to put the men outside for a short time. Now, a Jewish teacher was a rabbi. That is a trained teacher, a rabbi. It is interesting that only seven in all of history were given the title Rabboni. A rabbi is a trained teacher. A rabbon is the highest level. Well, this is one of the seven guys of all of history that is called a rabbon. He, he is one of them. And in fact, he's, one of the, he's the teacher of the law, the doctor of the law that trained Paul, the apostle Paul. He's, he's the one that trained him. Now, I think it's important to see, be sure he didn't know Jesus And he wasn't for Jesus. Sometimes we read this and go, maybe he was sympathetic to the Christian cause. Well, the fruit of his teaching produced Paul. I don't think that's it. But he does have worldly wisdom. This is a man with worldly wisdom. Here's what happens. He sees the anger of the Sadducees. And so he says for just a second, hey, put them outside. Put the apostles outside. Now, it's important to understand the fact that he could give orders in the Sanhedrin showed his power. He was a rabon. He was well-respected by all the people. Not just anybody could give a command in the council of the Jews. And he says, put them outside for just a moment. He gives a command. They put them outside for just a minute. Verse 35. And he said to them, men of Israel, take care what you propose to do with these men, verse 35, he says, be careful. It actually means be considerate, be thoughtful of what you propose to do with these men. Now understand, he saw their anger and he knew that their anger was what was filling this response. He also knew that the charges brought against the apostles were disobeying the ruling council. And he knew that disobeying the ruling council was not a capital offense. He knew that disobeying the the, the Jewish council didn't carry the punishment of death. And so he could see they were mad and they were about to break the law. They were mad and they were about to, to go and put these guys to death. And he could see that in their anger, they were about to make a huge mistake. And so he says, consider this, think about this. And as a teacher of the law, he says, let's not break the law. Be sure and think about what we're getting ready to do. That's not the punishment for this crime. Verse 36. For some time ago, Thutis rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a group of about 400 men joined up with him. But he was killed, and all who fought him were dispersed and came to nothing. Understand, it was not uncommon especially now that Herod was dead, it was not uncommon for people to rise up and to lead revolts. And it wasn't uncommon for people to, to, to step up and to claim to be a prophet and say they were speaking for God. And it, it even wasn't rare for someone to claim to be the Messiah. And folks were saying, I'm the Messiah. And they were trying to prove that they were the Christ. And so he gives an example. This is not uncommon. People have done this. He reminds them, verse 36 again, For some time ago, Thutis rose up claiming to be somebody and a group of about 400 men joined up with him. But he was killed and all who fought him were dispersed and came to nothing. The whole thing, the big stir came to nothing. Verse 37. After this man, Judas of Galilee rose up in the days of the census and drew away some people after him. He also, he too perished and all those who followed him were scattered. This guy rose up and he, he made the same claims and he is killed and all those that, that followed him were dispersed, they were scattered and again, the big commotion came to nothing. He said, this is not an uncommon thing, this has happened in the past. And then his advice in verses 38 and 39. So in the present case, I say to you, stay away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or action is of men, it will be overthrown. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them or else you may even be found fighting against God. If it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them or else you may even be found fighting against God. He says, leave it alone. He says, if it's false, it's gonna be revealed just like those other ones. It'll it'll play out, it'll come to nothing. But he says, but if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. Friends, I want you to see this man denied the truth of Jesus. This man needed the truth of Jesus, but he speaks something very big here. He says something very profound here. And in this, we see the first ingredient, the first part in our study today, and that is this. We see the radical power of the church. The radical power of the church. Listen this morning, understand this morning, the church is the creation of God himself. Men didn't sit around and devise the institution of the church. The church is the creation of God himself. The church is the plan of God himself. We're not sitting around trying to make plans. The church is the plan of God himself. The church is the body of Christ himself. The church is empowered by the spirit of God himself. And so understand the church is no powerless thing. It is no insignificant thing. It is no normal thing. It is no timid, sleepy thing. No, the church of Jesus Christ is a wildly radical thing. It's the plan of God. It's the body of Christ. It's empowered by the Holy Spirit of God. The church is a radical thing. Listen, we we need to remember that when we pray as the church. We need to remember that when we serve as the church. We need to remember that when we carry the witness out as the church. Listen, we need to remember that this morning when we gather as the church. Well, we had a busy weekend, didn't make it. Well, got a lot of stuff to get done, and, and this and that, and the kids have all this stuff. And I, I'm gonna tell you, even when we do together, listen, I, I go to football games that are more exciting than a church service. Listen, the church, the assembly of believers, it is a radical thing. It is the plan of God, empowered by the Spirit of God. The church is a radical thing. And so we see this morning the radical power of the church. Remind ourselves of that the radical power of the church. All right, verse 40. They took his advice. After calling the apostles in, they flogged them and ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and then released him. They listened. They called the apostles in, they flogged them and they ordered them. Now, I need to say it. They ordered them again, I might add. They'd already ordered them at least two other times. Don't speak in this name. Don't preach in this name. They they ordered them again not to speak in the name of Jesus, and they released them. I want to point out two things right here. The first is this, and be sure of this. Especially in these last days, The world doesn't care what the church does as long as the church doesn't preach the name of Jesus. You know that, don't you? You're not being misled, are you? The world does not care what the church does as long as it doesn't preach the name of Jesus. And we can do good deeds and we can have food kitchens, and we can take up public service projects, we can have concerts, we can make crafts, we can have sports leagues, we can have things to teach life skills. Listen, the world does not care as long as you do not preach Jesus. But as soon as you start to preach the name of Jesus, as soon as you start to say there is salvation alone by faith in Jesus, the world starts to say, you know what, you're intolerant. The world starts to say, you know what, you're judging people. We're not supposed to do that. The world starts to say, you're hateful. The world starts to say, you know what? You're not like the world. You're a cult, you're divisive, you're a judging group of people and the world hates the gospel preaching church. Listen, it's gonna get worse. We think we're gonna tiptoe through this and come out and scathe, it's not gonna happen. The world hates the gospel preaching churches. so we need to get resolved in that. We need to encourage each other. Who are we gonna follow? Who are we gonna listen to? God or the world? The world hates the gospel preaching church. Second thing we need to see is this. I want us to look at this flogging. <clears throat> in the Old Testament, In the book of Deuteronomy, if they were to punish somebody, they were to whip them, they could whip them 40 times. That's the law. You could whip them 40 times. And so not to go over the 40, in case they lost count, they'd do it 39 times. And that's, that's where that comes from. They didn't want to break the law. They didn't want to go over. We're, we're taking out this punishment and we want it to be exacting according to the law. And so we're gonna do it 39 times. So in case somewhere we miscount, we're not gonna break the law. So they took these 12 men and they took these straps. They were three leather strands and they were braided into a whip. And they, they took these 12 men, they would take their clothes at least off the top portion of them and they would be bare-backed and they would be bare-chested and they would tie them up and they would force them to kneel. And these 12 men, they would whip them, they whipped them 39 times and they would do it two times on the back and then one time on the chest. Two times on the back and then one time on the chest. And they would keep that pattern until they reached 39 times, 13 cycles, two times on the back and once on the chest until they reached 39. It was a brutal ordeal, it was a bloody ordeal, it was a long event. It wasn't over very quickly. History tells us many died during the flogging. Some died after their flogging and the pain of the flogging was intense. And and historians say the the person two times on the back and once on the chest, they would begin to shake and they would begin to tremble. and, and, And some of them would go into shock in the process and the wounds would sting two times on the back and once on the front and they would start to rise up welts upon them, and they might have lacerations across them, and they'd be two times on the back and once on the front, and they would come back and revisit those wounds. The goal was to hit the wound that you hit before two times on the back and once on the front. And on this day, 468 blows were delivered. And I want you to picture these apostles as they sat there 468 blows and they heard these other 11 that were with them. They watched each other 468 times on the back and on the chest. And here they are and they're whipped like a bunch of low life criminals and they're stripped bare and they're beaten in the public view. And where it wasn't that long ago, they were men that had families and men that were fishermen, men that were known in the community. Now they're here as common criminals and two times on the back and once in the front. And there they are whipped according to the scorn in the core of their nation. The Bible says they are shamed. Verse 41, and so they went on their way from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. Doesn't say pain, shame for his name. First thing we saw was the radical power of the church. Second thing we see is this, the radical people of the church. We see the radical people of the church. Listen to verse 41 again. So they went on their way from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. See this, understand the truth of what happens here. They leave that event and the Bible says they are rejoicing. They are literally rejoicing that they are so tied to Christ, that they are so associated with Christ, that they were able to suffer shame and counted worthy to do it as they upheld the name of Jesus Christ. And they leave and there's wealth raised across them. There's stripes that go across them. There's blood that's dried on them as they leave and they go and the, the tears of pain are still in their eyes and they rejoice to be counted worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus Christ. Folks, you wanna know when the gospel's real to somebody, it's when they won't let go of it. You want to know when the gospel is real to somebody, it's when they won't let go of it, they won't let go of it, it's all they've got. And so they cling to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Listen, any right-minded person would turn, any right-minded person would say, no, I'll, I'll reject this. You want to know when a person believes the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's when they won't let go of it. You want to know when when the gospel's real to somebody, it's when they'll stand under the pressure of the hatred for it. The world hates the gospel and you find a person and they bull their neck and they stand under the weight of the hatred for the gospel. That person loves the gospel of Jesus Christ. You want to know when a person has, when the gospel's real to somebody, it's when they endure and they press on and they take the abuse and they still rejoice in the glorious name of Jesus. That's when the gospel's real to somebody. These are a radical people. Gospel people, listen, are a radical people. Gospel people are a radical people. You wanna know when a a cause is unstoppable? It's when you flog the people and they go out rejoicing. I can't imagine these Jewish leaders. We, we killed Jesus. We, we take these 12 and we beat them across the, their chests and their backs and they walk out rejoicing. They walk out rejoicing. You know what, I think fear, panic had to strike them. You know, when you got we, we got problems, there's an the unstoppable cause. It's when you flog the people and they go away rejoicing. Gospel people are radical people. Listen to this. Listen to what one of them writes later. This is 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through 16. I want you to listen. And I want you to see the depth of these words, knowing what he just walked through right here. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you. I don't know, straps across the back. Do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you as for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, 468 straps. but to the degree that you share the suffering of Christ, keep on rejoicing so that also at the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice in his exaltation. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory of God rests on you. Make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a troublesome meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in this name. He is not to be ashamed, but to glorify God in this name. Gospel people are radical people. Seen the radical power of the church? We've seen the radical people of the church. The last thing we're gonna see today is the radical preaching of the church. The radical power of the church, the radical people of the church, and last, the radical preaching of the church. Verse 42, last verse. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they kept right on teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. I'm gonna read that again. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they kept right on teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Now, I want you to see the pattern here in verse 42. It says, and every day. It literally translates all the days. All the days. Every day, er day, day, every day. Every day in the temple and from house to house. Now they say, don't do it, don't do it. We've commanded you not to do it. And yet they go to the temple, the most public place to do it. Now if they miss you at the temple, they also go house to house to house. Add that up, that means everywhere. And so I want you to see the pattern of the New Testament church is they preach the gospel every day, everywhere. Every day, Everywhere. That is the pattern of the gospel proclamation of the church. So, do you see the mission of the church? Do you see the predominant activity of the church? Do you you see the activity that should be the cornerstone of the church? They are preaching the gospel every day, everywhere. That is the predominant task of the church. Every day, everywhere. Verse says they kept. Means they didn't let go of, they didn't stop. Right on, continued, didn't slow down, they didn't regroup. They kept right on teaching, that means explaining, preaching, that means proclaiming Jesus as the Christ. Once again, I want you to hear this, and and you might say, "Man, we've already heard this." Let me just tell you, that's okay. I've done it. God wants you to hear it again. I I want you to hear this this morning. The message of the church is that we are sinners, and that as sinners, we are lost, we are ruined, we're hopeless in our sin. As sinners we are guilty, we're condemned already before a perfect God. We're condemned before a holy God. The message of the church is there's nothing we can do about this. There's nothing we can do about that. There's no work that you can do. There's no accumulation of good deeds that you can pile up. We are lost in our sin and there is not one thing we can do. The message of the church is that still God loves us and he loves you and he loves me. I always say that's the greatest miracle I know. He loves us. He doesn't write us off, he loves us and he sees our state. He sees what we've done in our sin. He sees our helplessness to do anything about it and so he sends his only begotten son and the message of the church is his name is Jesus and he comes and he lives a life with no sin and he goes to the cross as the payment for sin. He is the lamb that will carry the sin far away. He goes to the cross, and the message of the church is there he dies, and he's also whipped, but the Romans didn't have a limit. It didn't stop at 39 for our King Jesus. He's whipped there. He's nailed to a Roman cross. He, he bleeds there and he dies on the cross. He's taken off of that cross and he's placed in a grave. He is the payment for sin. He is the payment for sinners. He is my payment and he is your payment. And the message of the church is three days later in the power of God, he lives again. And the lamb that was slain is now the risen lamb. And he stands as the risen savior. He is the defeater of death. He is our savior and our king. And the message of the church is if you will believe in him, if you'll believe in him and trust him as your savior, you will be saved. And friends, that is the message of the church of Jesus Christ. There is salvation alone in Jesus. Jesus saves. That's the message of the church. That's the message of the church. There's hope in that message. There's peace in that message. Friends, there's salvation alone in that message. Eternal life in that message. And so the church, radically empowered and filled with radical gospel people, we keep preaching the radical message of Jesus Christ. Is that our church? Is that you in our church? And one last question I'll add to that. Have you received the message of the church? Have you put your trust in Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior? And I've said that the last few weeks. That's the point to all of this. Have you put your faith in Jesus Christ have you been saved by trusting him for your salvation? Not of any work, lest you would boast, but in faith in Jesus Christ. Have you received the message of the church? Let me tell you, maybe God brought you here. We're gonna instruct the church, but maybe he brought you here to hear the message of salvation. The good news of the gospel is this. If you will trust in him, you will be saved. If you'll trust in him as our savior, the risen lamb, you will be saved. Have you received the message of the church? Let's pray. Dear me, Father, we come. Lord, we come, and I'm so thankful for your word. And I'm so thankful for the truth of it. I'm so thankful, Lord, for these guys who came, who testified, who stood under the weight who took the wrath of the world, that they might be pleasing to God. They might be pleasing to you. And I'm thankful, Lord, that they testify to the truth of Jesus. And I believe that it's in their testimony that that I have heard and that we have heard. And so, Lord, I'm thankful for those faithful people. Lord, most of all, I'm thankful for a faithful Savior. Thankful for a hope that endures, a peace that doesn't run out. Thankful for the Lamb of God that takes my sin far away, the risen Lamb that stands as the victor. We praise you, we worship you. Lord, I I pray if there's somebody here that doesn't know you, I pray that in the hearing of this today, they would put their faith in you, they'd put their pride down, whatever's hindering them, and they would trust you for their salvation today. Lord, I pray for us as a church. I pray that we would be encouraged in our mission, we'd be strengthened in our mission. I pray, Lord, that having grabbed a hold of the gospel, we couldn't let go of it. Having put our hand to the plow, we couldn't turn back. Taking up our cross, we wouldn't set it down. Lord, I pray that we would be radical people because of such a gracious God and a gracious salvation. Lord, I pray the fruit of all this, salvation the proclamation of the message and your church would all bring glory to you. All glory be to my Savior, Jesus. We love you, we praise you, we worship you, and I pray in your name, Amen.